You're listening to It's a Queer Thing. Welcome back to 88.1 KFCF. It's a queer thing on this third Friday of the month with Uncle Tiff and Aunt Jeffafina. How are you doing, Aunt Jeff? I'm good, Uncle Tiff. I felt like I was in a video arcade game or at least playing Candy Crush with this song. (laughs) Candy Crush has jams like that? Well, it sounded like that's where it was from. It's like, ooh, I want that to go with my milkshake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that was Miss Sophie. May she rest in peace um, with Lemonade. So you're listening to 88.1 KSCF, and it is the third Friday of the month. It is February 19, 2021, another month in the year of the pandemic. And we are here to entertain you with some queer news and some happenings and some music. Uh, you can also catch us live streamed on KFCF.org and just go to our show. So wherever you are in the world, you can listen to us. Just make sure you're tuning in at 5 Pacific Standard Time. So with that, we're going to be uh, talking with some folks. For those of you that are in the know, you know that there are some happenings that have been going on or are attempting to be gone on here in the Tower District, particularly around our theater, the Tower District Theater, Tower Theater. And uh, there is some potential to change the makeup of our community here in the Tower District. Uh, That includes our arts and entertainment community, our business community, our cultural diverse communities, our cosmopolitan area of Fresno, our walking friendly districts. There's an issue going on about whether or not the Tower Theater will remain a venue for our whole community or be turned into a church. So I'd like to welcome our guest. Our guest is Tyler Mackey, who is the executive director of the Tower District Marketing Committee. He is involved with the group that is uh, Save the Tower Theater, and you know that they've been having some weekly visual uh, vigils out in front of the Tower Theater across the street, and there's a GoFundMe page, and there's a variety of other things going on. So welcome, Tyler. Thanks for having me. No, well, thank you for being on. This is such an issue. This really isn't just an issue about uh, the Tardis. It's really an issue about the whole valley. This is a place that many people come to and support and find a place of belonging. So for all the folks that are involved in this, including our friends at the Fools Collaborative and uh, Haley White and Miguel Newsom and those folks that have really been leading the artistic community to speak up and speak out. I want to thank all of you for taking this on. Tyler, are you with us? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, no, I I didn't know if any of them were on the call, too. Yes, no, they've been absolutely great. Um, And, you know, it's been interesting, the perception. What we're really seeing, in my opinion, is we're seeing a community unifying around just their identity and this really broad acceptance of people. So it's actually... Um, it's actually kind of a refreshing thing to see in its own way. I mean, it's a, it's a tragic thing to be happening, 
but kind of a beautiful moment being created out of it. So I appreciate all of those guys very much. So the silver lining in a rather dark cloud. Let's uh, let's take our listeners uh, a little bit through this. Would you like to explain uh, what is happening with the Tower Theater? For it is possible that some of our listeners may not be up to date on all this. Yeah, sure. So you know, COVID changed so much for the Tower District, and, and before the COVID hit. The Tower District was really thriving. You could go out pretty much any night of the week and, and find a nightlife scene, um, live music and entertainment, um, including the Tower Theater. Every night, you know, pretty much every weekend, it was just booked solid. And that was, of course, you know, benefits the whole district. Well, when COVID hit and we went into that first shelter back in the spring of 2020, um, obviously we expected to see a lot of things change until COVID lifted. But when we came out of the shelter, one thing that we never really expected was to see a drastic change or even any kind of movement at the Tower Theater. But what people started noticing as they came out of shelter was that there was a church that had, you know, kind of popped up on Sundays at the Tower Theater. Um, We were, and I I try to always preface this um, because there's been a lot of pushback from especially members of the church community, that, you know, no one cared um, back in the spring and summer. But that, that, that doesn't represent the truth, because at the same time, those of us who, you know, had been here in Fresno, we were noticing that our police department, our sheriff's department, and our county officials weren't really enforcing um, the COVID shelter orders on especially churches. And so since it was a church that was meeting there, we had watched as they had publicly announced that they were going to shy away from this kind of confrontation. So the community did feel rather helpless, and they kind of just watched it with curiosity, thinking, okay, well, it's all that they can do. And, you know, they're just trying to get by. And I think that people, they didn't realize that a problem like that could escalate, given the right circumstances. They'd always thought, you know, it would reopen be an entertainment venue. It wasn't until December when the second shelter in place uh, order was given that people really started to have a, a major problem because while the rest of the tower did the same thing it had done in the spring, which was lights out, it shut down um, across the board. The church continued to operate that time, did not ignore, did not eat it, and so of course then they become this sore thumb, right? That everyone can see passing by. Everything's closed, shuttered. Yet here stands this assembly of people indoors, ain't ma- you know not wearing a lot of masks. Um, and so it started to raise eyebrows, which led me to start doing a little digging of my own as people started reaching out to me saying uh, they hear that this church was buying the theater. And I, you know, I brushed it off and I said, well, you know, I've heard that for six months. We haven't seen anything come of it. It's probably a rumor. They're just renting it. When it became evident later in the month of December that it was, in fact, being sold, that was the moment where it was like, okay, let's let's make sure that we wake up the community and let them know what's happening right underneath their noses. Um, I wonder if anyone knows. And so the minute we started putting, I started putting this out there to people, no one was aware in the business community. No one was aware at City Hall. It just seemed like blindsided everyone. And so that's how the whole thing kind of came to the surface. It actually started, um, you know, with, I think it was, Gay Central Valley, maybe, was the first one to run the story that said, you know, had claimed it. And it was based on a conversation that I had had where I said, you know, this church. I didn't say anti-LGBTQ. I just said this church. And 
they did their research to determine, you know, what their stance was. And um, that's really how this all came to a head. And then it became this conversation. Well, the minute you open a can of worms like that, then you start having people wonder, well, the what if. What if a church took over the Tower Theater? And that led us down the rabbit hole that revealed that what it would do would be to compromise within a thousand feet liquor licenses, entertainment licenses, permits for clubs. All of these are sensitive use permits that literally ask line items, are you near a church? Are you near a school? Are you near a daycare? All of which services are often offered within churches. And this church we knew in their original location offered some of these services, which would then, of course, affect all the businesses. So that's really how the whole thing came about was us realizing that not only was there a church there, not only were they violating the COVID rules, but what they intended to do, not just for this moment, but going forward, was to put at risk the sensitive use permits, the investment of the entire tower district going forward. And that was before we even really started to scratch the surface at the cultural experience and the very personal um, value that the tower had to its community. So let me ask you this. Um, so I can imagine that uh, this type of major change would affect the existing businesses. Can you give us a little bit of information of how uh, this would come into place? You said that there are these places within a thousand feet, blah, 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 blah. What does that mean for those businesses that are already established? And there are many businesses in this area that are already established that could run afoul of this thousand feet rule. Yeah, and we've tried to do the research we can on how it would affect per se. Now, we know that if the church were to throw a fit and say, hey, you know, this liquor license is too close to our church, that that could start a process. We do know that. Now, the church, whether you can take them at their word, says, oh, we won't you know, challenge anyone's licenses. And that even could be true. But what it doesn't negate is the fact that the rules aren't set by the city of Fresno always on liquor licenses. This is a little bit higher than the pay grade of our city council. So that's for the ABC for the state of California. Correct. So you've got ABC with the state of California that sets these strict rules. Now, our understanding of it is that potentially, because these guys already have established businesses that predate the church, their liquor license would not be affected in the moment. What would happen is if those businesses, and you have, I mean, at least a dozen or better within that radius, if they ever attempted to sell their business, to transfer that license to a new owner, that's where their obstacle would come. So what it would do is devalue their business by saying, well, you can't guarantee that you can transfer with your business a liquor license, which for a lounge or a nightclub is pretty key to its financial success model and being able to actually be sellable. So it really just kind of locks people into their spaces. Um, whether or not they would be able to come in and challenge those existing licenses is to be determined, but we sure, sure don't want to tempt that. You know, we don't want to see that tested. But um, we definitely know that it would impact the ability for them to transfer their license. And let's just be real, um, you have businesses in the tower that do come and go. Uh, you know, just on the tower theater block alone, you had Pino Wine Bar years back, you know, that used to exist there and it was Palomino's. So you've seen that turnover um, the new business that would inhabit that space couldn't go for that license if they were new to the game. So you actually, within a 1,000 feet of the theater, 
would over a relatively short period of time see that no businesses of the type we're used to could establish new businesses in that area or acquire old ones with their permits intact. Wow, and so that would even be like restaurants, such uh, some of the restaurants there that are just restaurants that serve alcohol with dinner. They would be impacted as well as far as a new business wanting to come in, or are we talking about just nightclubs? No, you're talking all of them. So even, I mean, you've got Sequoia Brewery that literally shares that property that's, you know, involved deeply in this whole process now. Uh, you know, they're, they're boots deep. And those guys, um, they're... They have a brewery, a little microbrewery in the back. All of that has been there for 30 years. I mean, that, that goes back to Butterfeld's, right? That goes way back in tower history. And, and Sequoia's been there, what, 20-some-odd years. So you're talking a 30-year history of a liquor license on that spot. When they tried to sell it, there's no guarantee that that historic brewery would remain because they may or may not be able to transfer that license. So let me ask you this, because I know we're saying 1,000 feet. Give me an idea of 1,000 feet, because many people are familiar with the tower, the Olive mm-hmm. Avenue, where the Tower Theater is at. So a thousand, How far a to thousand, this? Yeah, okay, go ahead. 1,000 feet would affect every business from the center of the Tower Theater, radiating all the way um, east to at least Van Ness and that whole corner. So it would affect every business, Betty Betty Vici, every business in that corridor, um, all the way up to the Van Ness. In terms of up to Washon, it would reach all the way up into the residential neighborhood. So it would eliminate your gold scenes, your everyone on that block where you've got your coffee shops and all that. Um, on the Fulton, it would push back down past where the old Babylon used to be. Remember the uh, what was it? It was a you know billiard. Yes. So anyone in that complex on the western front, it would push all the way down to the intersection there at Echo between like the Lincoln and uh, El Patio. So, I mean, it would literally affect every every business that you hop from on a Friday or Saturday night, they're affected. So, in other if words, it's really, hop. it's going to be the heart of the Tower District. Correct. What you've, what uh, you've correct. painted is the heart of the Tower District. I'm going to think that you didn't talk about living stones and stuff that's probably within that 1,000 feet as well. Yeah, because, yeah, they're, yeah, they definitely, because they're, they're you know, closer than Van Ness and closer than, you know, say, Pine. So, yeah, it would definitely encompass And that. Roger um, Rockas and Good Company, Second Space, and those theater correct. places as well. Absolutely. All of those wow. guys would, would see the effect on their liquor license in the event of a transfer of that. Um, some of the folks, like nightclubs, now we can, you know, even take that a step further, have even more permits. So the folks, like, down at, at, at or Queer Nightclub, like Fab, at, or the new one that's opening, they even have more restrictions. Um, those guys have to go door to door uh, before they can open a business and knock on doors and say, "Hey, are you okay with me being here?" Just because you don't like the nuisance. I mean, the the restrictions that they're set to is just so extreme that those guys would have even more than a liquor license up for challenge. Wow! But it could really change. All those type of changes would really change the the dynamics and the business models of the tower because even the smaller little the ice cream parlor the flower shop the little boutique all the tattoo parlors all of those changing the flavor of what the tower is would affect all them as well just a business model of bringing customers in and people coming and staying well yeah i mean just 
and people don't realize how sensitive it really is to the point that you touch it and it breaks sometimes. So it's not even just changing the use of the theater. Uh, it used to even remain in a theater, but say you decided you were going to change the whole program. Even something as subtle as that could ripple effect, because what makes the tower economics work is diversity. Um, our diversity in the tower is our strength. That's why you have businesses that seem kind of, um, they seem very niche, right? They seem very, uh, for a very specific audience. And they thrive in the tower and has thrived because that audience was cultivated in that space. So especially when we're talking about our queer-owned businesses, there was a time in Fresno not so long ago where a openly queer business owner could not just set up a business in North Fresno and expect to have a city full of customers. So for generations, a lot of queer business owners have decided that the tower would be the place they would set up their business because it came with a baked-in audience. It was a place of diversity where that was embraced, and so people felt comfortable walking around and doing business, being out, being proud, and doing business with queer-owned businesses. If you go to North Fresno um, or Clovis and other places, you you struggle to see uh, the community that would support the types of businesses we have. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. So you're listening to 88.1 KFCF, It's a Queer Thing. We're talking about the effort to save the Tower Theater and preserve the nature and uh, the culture that is the Tower District of Fresno. We're talking with Tyler... um, from the Tower Marketing Committee. We're going to come back to the interview in a few minutes, but we're going to take a little musical break, and then we're going to come back to the interview. I wish I thought that I was pretty so that I could turn you on. I had a dream you called me pretty, and I told you you were wrong, and that I look for parts of you and every person that I meet because my brain is dis- And you're listening to 88.1 KFCF. It's a queer thing with Uncle Tiff and Aunt Jeff. You were just listening to Baby Queen with Want Me. Well, thank you for tuning in. This is 88.1 KFCF. It's a queer thing. And we're talking to Tyler Mackey, who is the executive director of the Tower District Marketing Committee. And we've asked him to be a guest because we wanted to talk about what is happening with the Tower Theater and uh, we've been getting a rundown of how this could possibly affect the existing businesses here uh, in their day-to-day operations, but also in case that they decided that they were ready to retire and sell their business, and also any new businesses that would be coming in, just the natural attrition of businesses coming and going and how that would affect restaurants, nightclubs, uh, entertainment venues, Roger Rockas, Good Company Players, the whole wealth of that. On top of that, there is an artistic community here that the Tower District is uh, very much involved in, and the Tower Theater is the central hub. And so, Tyler, I'd like to ask you about, you know, we have, I know that the church has said that they were going to keep it as a entertainment venue, but I have a hard time believing that uh, some forms of the entertainment that are there, when you talk about the diversity of the communities and the diversity of entertainment, I'm thinking of, the Rogue Festival, uh, the Fresno Real Pride Film Festival, the LGBT Film Festival, uh, when the vagina monologues come in, uh, when Thunder Down Under comes in, when we have lesbian and gay comics or artists or uh, the, gay, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. 
what do you think would happen to all those options or the variety of availability that would become limited in my thought process if a church owned the Tower Theater and was trying to operate it as a venue? I see it as more like uh, Christian entertainment is what that venue would become. I think that you probably nailed it there. Um, we have heard a lot, and see, the, th- the problem is the church isn't very, nothing is in writing, nothing is, it's all social media posts and claims, right, it, through the media and through these different releases, so it's really hard to, to say they'd be able to honor it, and even if they were to sign some sort of an agreement with the city, there's no, there's no way the city could enforce that, especially over time. So the idea that they would just allow things to continue, it, it's hard to imagine, and it's really hard to see how it would be enforced, even in a signed covenant. So um, it really isn't, it doesn't solve very much, because free speech and free expression is what the Tower Theater is known for. You can have Sarah Silverman, um, Cloris Leachman, God rest her soul, you know, was she's been in that great set space. We've had some of the great free speech comedians, um, you know, you said things. I've actually been talking to a lot of the rogue, uh, rogue artists, and I mean, someone even said, what about the, you know, the penis puppets? And it's like, yeah, I can't see that either, you know. And they were the first who put that show on. They're like, I don't think they're going to let me come back. These are the kinds of things that we, we hear, and we have to just expect, expect that this is true. When they talk about keeping it as an entertainment venue, they say family-friendly. So that's a pretty broad interpretation um, to say family-friendly. They say they want to bring the Miss Fresno, you know, pageant, but they want family-friendly stuff, but that they will use it, you know, two to one, whatever their promise may be. They're not specifying who. Um, and I don't think that we could, that they could be legally bound to that anyways. So it really is, it's just a misnomer. And what would happen is this whole process, those organizations like the Rogue, um, there are other nonprofit film festivals, um, they rely on that space for the majority of their program. And so removing that space from the equation literally breaks the back of local nonprofits um, and arts nonprofits and film festivals and parade committees. And, I mean, it it breaks the backs of the organizations that have used that space and built organizations over decades out of that space. I, I just don't think that there's any way to bind them to honoring that commitment. And I really can't see them doing it based on the way that they've treated the community thus far and based on the ideology that their church holds, that they uh, were proud of, but as the press has picked up on this story, they have begun to kind of scrub from the scene so that no one could hold them to account. So it's just really hard to see people that are trying to avoid accountability and transparency being forthright, honest, and faithful partners. So I know that we, uh, and I say we, when I say we, I mean the community of the Tower District, has been having some visual presence in the Tower District, particularly on Sundays, uh, across from the church, or excuse me, across from the Tower Theater uh, on Sundays, because that's when they were were using the venue. Uh, and I know that many of the arts, arts community are involved in that. And so can you tell me what... Um, What's going on with those demonstrations or vigils? Those? Yeah, so what they're, what they're doing, they're calling it a peaceful protest. 
Um, it's definitely an opposition protest. I mean, let's, let's make no, mince no words about it. It's an opposition protest to the sale of the church and the pending rezone that would have to result um, if the church was sold. So, I mean, I don't think that there's a problem calling it a peaceful protest. It is, a, um, it is something different than a protest, though. I, I've been out there myself. Um, I'm, you know, uh, as I go out there, what I see is maybe different because of the lens that I view it from. I see it as a celebration of who we are, and I think that that's how most of the organizers see it. They're not going out there to say boo-boo to the church. They're not out there to say you don't belong here. Literally what they're out there saying is we know who we are. We're proud of who we are. If you're accepting of us, if you're not, then this isn't the place for you. It really is more of a, a celebration of community and of diversity. You see people from all different walks of life. You see our business owners going out there. Um organizers of our various nonprofits, uh, and then just regular old community members. People are driving by, honking their horns to honor the people on the corner. Um, musicians are coming out there, and they're playing music. And it's really a celebration of who we are. And it's just a show. I, I mean, what I view it as, at least, is they're out there to show the community that we're here. We love our community. We love who we are, and we're not ready to change our identity, and we're not backing down. We want to keep the vi- – it's about keeping a visibility on the fact that this place already has a population. It already has a community. Um, one of the arguments the church seems to want to make is that they're going to come and make us whole, that they're going to come and fix things. And what that demonstration is, there's nothing to fix. These are people who are broadly diverse from all walks of life, and it doesn't need fix because they're already working together. They're already supporting each other. They're already lifting each other up. They're already, we're already organizing street cleanups and pickups, and we're already taking care of our own. So it's really more just a, creating a narrative that, look, the community is unified. We love who we are. Join us or walk away, but you can't change us. This idea that they want to change us is what I think that's really a pushback on. Well, it does seem like it's a big push to change the culture in all yeah. aspects to change our culture. To come in and save us. Let me ask you: When, when, how, if I wanted to come and be a part of it, and I'm just listening to the show today, how could I come and be a part of the of the Sunday uh, celebration? How can I be a part? What What should I think about bringing with me? How long would I be out there? Do I need? I've seen some stuff where Proud Boys have shown up, and other people that may not be so celebratory in d- celebrating diversity what yeah. as i as a listener who want to get involved should know and how would i get involved well first you need to know that safety is the organizers of this event are focused on safety first so at every step um every, if you show up to the event on a sunday you can get there the organizers are setting up very early to beat the said proud boys uh and such because they they have Began and began an intimidation campaign on Sundays, where they think that they can beat the organizers to the event. Uh, so the organizers have just said, "Well, we're committed. We live here. You know, your outsiders coming to change us. We're just going to get up early." And they've shown that they're committed. So they show up um, and they get set up early. Uh, there's a whole lot more of the organizers and uh, of the community than there are of the protesters, of the, the counter protesters and Proud Boys and the like. They they represent a very small little handful of the same folks that keep coming back 
and they honestly lose their team in the first two couple hours. They get some video shots. They try to provoke, and when they're unsuccessful, they finally give in. And then the party continues for a couple more hours out there in a much more celebratory, free-spirited way, right? So they, they really aren't here for the long haul. Um, they'd like to, to get people to engage, but when you arrive at the event, um, you don't have to bring – if you want to bring a chair, fine. You don't have to bring a lawn chair. But for the most part, uh, the, the organizers are providing signs that are pre-done that say things like, you know, power to the people. Um, they are providing blank signs if you want to write a sign. So, you know, you've got the pins. Um, they have sanitizer and wipes, and they've got extra masks and anything that you would need. They've got waters. So it's a pretty well-supplied event. Uh, they have chalk people going out there and chalking spacers six feet apart so that people maintain distance. Organizers uh, wear pink uh, reflective vests. And so if the press is out there or you have anyone that needs to ask a question, you, you should direct them to the organizers in the pink. Those folks are also walking around making sure people are maintaining their distancing. If there are counter-protesters, those folks are trained or working to train themselves to be able to interact in a way that does not engage them but defuses the situation. So um, they've done a really good job at providing for everyone's safety. And then they're bringing out live music. Um, we've got flag swirlers. So it's, it's really a fun experience when the counter, pro, you know, when the, the quote unquote, you know, crowd folks decide that they're going to uh, do their thing. We, uh, there's always someone playing loud music next to them to disrupt it because the whole idea is don't let them have their platform. So we just pretty much are, they're pretty much out there in a very peaceful way, showing their support for the Tower Theater, helping folks to, to find their voice. They provide flyers that tell you how to be a good protester. I mean, the whole thing is very well done. Um, the police are, have been out there. They're aware of what's going on, and they come out every week. They're very supportive of just keeping the, the peace, keeping everyone safe. Um, and the minute that the counter-protesters go, we usually notice the police leave, too, all but one car. So um, it really is a peaceful event, and it really is a very celebratory event. And it's a great place to meet people who really love the community and organize. So um, it really is something worth going to. And they wrap up just after 12 o'clock. So it wraps at 12. What time should I get there if I'm just wanting to come and support these efforts? I'm not organizing it. I just want to come and support. Well, I've seen – so you can visit the Save the Tower Theater Facebook page. Um, and we share on that each week. We always share the event link, which gives the full details of what's going on. There is, uh, you know, I believe they have a page for pe people who want to get an organized uh, part of the organizing effort can, you know, message them through that and get plugged into the organizing side if they're committed to doing the work to organize. Um, so there's always that way. People want to show up. They have been putting out a agenda, basically, or a roster. At least last week they had, and it told you what time you could expect what performers. So they actually had a roster. So, I mean, you could have looked at it and said, well, at 9 o'clock, so-and-so is performing. I want to go see that. Or you could have come at 12, you know, and seen, I think it was Vince Warner. So, I mean, you could come out to whoever is – they basically are trying to turn it into more of a program so that people do have a reason to stick around to enjoy themselves. So um, the best way, though, to know is literally go on Facebook, go to the Save the Tower Theater page, and check out that event link um, and see, you know, what they're saying about this week's gathering. And so, once again, that's a Facebook page, Save the Tower Theater. Yep. And you can just look it up, Google it. You'll be able to find what you need. We're going to take a station identification break and a little bit of a musical break. You're listening to 88.1 KFCF. It's a queer thing with Uncle 
Tiff and Aunt Jeffafina, and our guest that we've been interviewing is Tyler Mackey, who is the executive director of the Tower Marketing uh, Committee here in the Tower District of Fresno, California. We're talking about trying to preserve and save the culture of the Tower Theater. We're going to take a musical break, and then we're going to come back to more of our interview. Whenever I say yes, you just say no Whenever you say stop, I start to go Now is this what you want? Cause I don't know It's gotta be more than once So show me so Whenever Oh, hello this is Auntie Butch, and you're listening to It's a Queer Thing on 88.1 KFCF. And welcome back. You were just listening to The Sleepwalkers with More Than Words. That was kind of old school gay dance music. That's, it. That's what it sounded like to me, being an old queen. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I said old school gay dance music. Old school dance, gay dance music, yeah. Okay, okay. It's... It just had that kind of energy. It just had that groove to it. <laughs> I didn't say it was popular old school dance music, gay dance music, but that's what it reminded me of. So you're listening to 88.1 KLCF, and it's a queer thing, and this is our time of the month. Literally, the third Friday of every month, the queers take the radio station over. We've been doing it for going on. It will be 31 years in July. That just blows my mind that we've already done it 30 years plus so many months. So we're talking about saving the Tower Theater. Before we took our little musical break, we were getting the lowdown on the peaceful protest, celebration, the peaceful celebration of diversity, inclusion, and in the arts that is happening that is a, in opposition of the Tower Theater being sold to a church which would drastically change the culture of the whole area. It would affect the businesses, the folks that live here in the district, and the folks that come here to party and play and live and celebrate their lives in an authentic way. So I'd like to ask, my next question is really about, uh, I know that there was a, a point early on where we were signing petitions and letters and contacting our city council representatives and the mayor's office and all that. Tyler, can you tell me if there's still uh, opportunities for those folks that want to send something written somewhere or sign on in support? Maybe they, they don't have the ability or the desire to come stand on the street corner? Is there something that folks can do that way? At the moment, um, you know, right now, when that all started, we were looking for solutions. That was well before we had people come forward with first rights of refusal and private legal, you know, fights ensued. Um, at the moment, um, the property is was in escrow to the church, and as of the, right now, all of that is frozen. In, in, in its tracks pending litigation, right? So um, at the moment, we're just looking at something that's more of a lengthy, potentially lengthy legal civil battle before the city gets back involved. But that doesn't mean that citizens, uh, concerned citizens cannot continue to raise this issue to their council members. But I think that 
because of the civil litigation we're seeing, it will delay the the government intervention side of this thing um, because it delay because the sale is held up, right? So sending those letters are still good if you haven't reached out yet, especially to council members Soria or um, Aria of the district that represent the tower. So if you want to email them, you can do so at district one for north of Olive Avenue, district three for south of Olive Avenue at Fresno.gov. And that goes into their, their boxes. That's how you can put a comment into your city council members. If you're in a different district, you just switch that district number. It's district, the number, and then at Fresno.gov. That's how you always contact your city council office. Um, unless you have, of course, their direct email, which you can always do that too. They have official emails too. Um, but in terms of the outreach on that side, at, at this point, it's really more about the crowdsourcing for the legal defense funds that people can do that will make a difference in, in the fight uh, if that's what people are looking to do or showing up those physical protests and keeping this, um, this situation in the eye of the public because ultimately the time that people lose in situations like this is when people become complacent. They stop showing up. So keeping to showing up, getting involved in that group, donating through the GoFundMe uh, to save the Tower Theater legal legal fund, those are the types of things that people can do at this point. Um, I'm sure if it if the civil litigation process does not play out well for, you know, uh, Sequoia, uh, I would say at that point, then it's going to be time to pursue a, a public solution that would involve you know, elected leaders. So let's talk about the the GoFundMe efforts that are going on out there, the crowdsourcing fundraising that's happening. Uh, is there more than one, and is there are there? Uh, we need to be careful not to give to the wrong cause. Or are, is I am not aware that there are more than one. Okay. So the Save the Tower Theater Legal Fund. Is what the is the official one that has been that that I set up uh, in cooperation with Annalisa Perea, um, and that one is being coordinated with the businesses who are fighting this fight. So that is that is one that that is an official place where people can donate and feel comfortable. Um, there will be a press release probably next week. We have to do you know we have to discuss text and language before we put anything out these days. But um, we will be clarifying for folks. Um, exactly how that money is going to stay transparent even after it leaves the GoFundMe um, and how if successful in the legal effort uh, that that money, according to the lawsuit, um, the public record, they're suing for, recom- for compensation of their legal expenses. So should this thing be successful for Sequoia, they would actually be replenishing the money into an account that is very transparent and open to the public to be able to see. They will be sharing that information as needed, as requested, and they will be giving that money back through some form of an endowment or donation to the community, the full amount, if they're successful. So, um, because they will get re- they will recoup their legal fees, and then their intention is to, to give that back to the community. So the community feels like, you know, we invested in you, now they're going to come back and invest in us. So right now there's one legal fund and the legal fund is going to fund the efforts of the first right of refusal. Am I getting this correct? Correct. So it will it will fund the legal fight over the entire Tower Theater complex, um, which is the first right of refusal of Sequoia Brewing Company. So okay. when when that goes forward, you know um, that would that defense fund is basically just to cover their legal expenses. 
and they've committed to, uh, they've set up an account or are working on that that can receive the funds out of GoFundMe that is not attached to their funds so that if the public wants to see in full transparency, they can share where all the expenses went and at the end of the line, put that money back and transfer it out back to the community if they're successful. So let's talk about, there's also been a lot of talk on social media about uh, the guys from the Painted Table that have made an offer or have indicated that they're interested in also buying the Tower Theater. Uh, have they backed off because of Sequoia Brewing right now, or is their effort still in play as well? Yeah, so we so we put, um, so they, they actually signed on to the press release that we released last week in support of Sequoia's claims. Uh, the way first right of refusal goes is the word first is in there, right? Only one person can go first. So um, Sequoia is a much older company with a much longer, uh, that they, their contract pre-exit, you know, date and all of that. So they're just technically the first first right of refusal. Um, and so there is, there is that respect between our businesses that, look, everyone has, if we're going to say that we want everyone to be treated according to their rights, we have to defer to whose rights come first. Um, and, and that effort to save the, the theater from whichever angle is the best interest of the community. Okay. No matter who buys the building, the most important thing, I think, to all the players involved, whether it be Sequoia Painted Table, myself, the, mar- the businesses of the tower in the community, is that whoever acquires the building is going to maintain its historic land use and not upset the, the balance the economic and uh, cultural balance of the district. I love that. Now, I know that you, uh, this is a broad coalition of folks that are supporting keeping the Tower Theater the Tower Theater. Um, talk to me a little about I that there's some faith-based uh, support for us not to let this go to a church. Am I correct? Correct. So, you know, I, I believe the last I'd heard was, I believe, and I, and I don't want to spread rumors, but I believe the Big Red Church was the last one to sign in support or to come out and get voice support for our efforts. Um, you know, faith leaders that faith leaders of goodwill and good spirit, they understand that faith in community is, a, is an act of willingness. It's not a forced thing. It's a, we bring a message of hope and you receive it willingly. And so we are finding faith leaders saying that it it does seem inconsistent with the very faith that it's professing to try and force it upon a community um, that that does not seem open to them. And secondly, um, the way that they have proceeded over the last several months has demonstrated much more of a... uh, finger in the eye, you know, um, goading of people than it has of people who are truly demonstrating that they want to live by their faith and their values and, and be supportive of a community. Uh, most of their actions, I think, can be easily interpreted by anyone as provocative, as trying to provoke argument, dissent, and disruption. Um, the, the way that they've hid things such as their policies on gay marriage um, and their stance on that by being overly vague, deleting, you know, their actual policy off their website, which which affirms that they only believe in marriage between a man and a woman, and only people who uh, are of their value system can lead and serve in their church, things like that. So right. I mean, they've done a lot of 
that, that's just kind of their situation. It's an interesting. I, the way I see it and how I feel about from reading everything and staying as much in the loop as possible is that it's just a lot of shady dealings. Yeah. From from the owner to the buyer, the whole thing just seems a little bit. Um, let's keep it under wraps so that nothing will upset our little apple cart. I want to ask you a couple other questions really quick. I, sure. And I may have this information wrong. I was shocked, and like I said, this could not. This may not be the correct information. Did Neighborhood Thrift sign on in support of saving the Tower Theater? Yes, they did. As I remember, they did, yes. And you know what shocks me about that is because they're a very faith-based organization as well. Yeah, I believe they signed on to the first letter that was circulated. I'm not sure if they signed on to the second letter. I'd have to go back and check my record on that. So it was true. um, I was just a little bit like, wow, that's really cool. I would not have expected that. Yeah, but you've got to remember that neighborhood thrift, while they might be faith-based, they are faith-based in the sense faith in human beings, right? They're about empowering people and uniting communities. Um, they work to clean up our, help us keep our streets clean and things like the values that they profess or that they execute in their actions as an organization are the values that are being professed by this organ, this, this church, but not acted upon. So, so in other it, words, the neighborhood thrift walks the walk. They talk the talk and they walk the walk. Correct. And so I think that when, when you're in that, that position, that you are confident in your what you're doing, you can say, hey, look, something here is fishy. So, um, like I said, I'm not, I can't 100% confirm that they did sign on to the letters, um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me because they are an organization that really does work to support the Tower community. They are sponsors of events. Um, they're, they're major partners. So I want to ask you some, uh, another question, and you represent the Tower Marketing committee the tower district marketing committee is there an official stance from the tower district marketing committee on the tower theater oh yeah yeah we we actually um we actually drafted the last letter that was um it was a demand for uh relief injunctive relief to the city of fresno so that's the letter that went to the city of fresno that was co-signed by 23 tower businesses, I want to say, 23 or 24 tower businesses, uh, the Better Business, or no, sorry, the Chamber of Commerce for Fresno area and the California Restaurants Association signed on to that one, along with 800 um, additional community supporters and I believe 90-some-odd um, property-owning residents like that are homeowners in the district, so people with real financial stakes in the district so we took an official stance of opposition okay now i got a question for you because i just i've worked with the tower district marketing committee for years when it's related to gay pride for the last 30 some odd years now isn't the tower theater part of the marketing district community or of the committee that would it would surprise many to find out that they in fact are not um Early, early in the organization, because it's a 23-year-old organization now, early in its inception, my understanding is that they were. Um, they have not been for quite some time, um, and they've, they've been quite uh, evasive of any effort uh, to work together for, for quite some time with our organization, to my understanding. Okay. 
So I know that Dot was the original owner, and now it's the Dot Something Foundation, that, and it's her family that owned that, correct? Her yes, descendants? I believe it's, a, it's in a family, the Abadi Family Trust, I believe. Yeah, Dot Abadi, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. I would think that uh, being probably one of the major benefactors of the Tower District Marketing Committee is the Tower Theater. That they get such would, a tremendous amount from that, but that's that's just my thing. So I don't want to get too political on this. I want to let people know: please support Save the Tower Theater. Come out, make a donation through the GoFundMe page, join the the live celebration, the peaceful protest. Uh, keep the energy up and alive. Write a letter to the Fresno Bee. I haven't seen, and I don't say I read the paper every day, but I have not seen a letter to the editor in the Fresno Bee about Save the Tower. Now I could have missed them. But it seems like those are places that we could be flooding, uh, keep up the energy and effort on the city council, on the county board of supervisors, on ABC, wherever you need to send something. Don't let the Tower Theater uh, be sold and be rezoned and change the culture of something that is so unique for Fresno. Uh, You've been listening to 88.1 KSCA. 88.1 KFCF. It's a queer thing. And... uh, We've been talking with our guest, which is Tyler Mackey, who is the executive director of the Tower Marketing Committee. We've been talking about saving the Tower Theater. Tyler, I want to thank you for taking the time to be a part of this and help educating our audience and letting people know what's going on. And uh, thank you for all that you do. Yes, thank you for for helping to spread the word. And just remember that uh, the fight may go on a long time, but we're not ready to give up yet. Fantastic. We're going to cut to our very last song as we sign off today, and I want to wish everyone a great February. It is, of course, Black History Month, and in uh, March we will be having Transgender Day of Visibility and other transgender-type services that are available to our community here in the central San Joaquin Valley. Make sure you tune in with us. Georgia, but you like me better, packed up in a corner.